Jacob Albrocht, Tommy Castor. This is Sports Daily on Wichita's number one sports radio, 97.5 and 1240 KFH. Welcome in, everybody, to a Monday edition of Sports Daily. Jacob Albrock, Tommy Castor with you to take you through the week that was, I should say the weekend that was, in the sports world for this part of the world. Glad to be here with you today. Jad Chambers producing for us. Uh, Big college basketball weekend. Disappointing on some fronts, encouraging on others. We'll get into all of that. And, oh, by the way, it's Super Bowl week. The Kansas City Chiefs just happen to be playing in this year's edition. Super Bowl 57 out in Arizona. We'll begin our coverage, our previews, see if we slept on it, got any new insight. We'll pay attention to the injuries. All the latest coming for you there. A blockbuster NBA trade. We don't talk a ton of NBA on this show, but that's a big one that happened over the weekend. So we'll get to all of that throughout the show today. Your calls, 869-1240. You can find us on social media. Tommy and I, easy to reach on Twitter. Probably the easiest place to directly communicate with us if you don't want to call into the program. Tommy, happy Monday. Hey, it was a good weekend. Busy weekend, but uh, kicking it off here on a Monday, getting ready to uh, talk Super Bowl and preview all of that. Uh, it's a big week, and uh, I, I think the only thing that I wish that I was doing right now rather than this show was hanging out in Phoenix getting ready for the Super Bowl. But you know what? We're not there. We're here. That's okay. Uh, we'll just live vicariously through all the people headed down there. Yeah, we, we've got a couple headed down for uh, 12 News. They'll leave a little bit later this week. Um, you know, it's interesting. Everyone always asks me about going to the Super Bowl and, oh, are you going? Oh, are you saying? I'm not going, by the way. Uh, there's no way in my life currently with all the coals in the fire that that would even be remotely possible. Uh, but Brandon Zinner and TJ Cleland for us are going to go down. I went to Miami once in a lifetime experience. And Tommy, if I'm being honest here from a work capacity, once in a lifetime might be enough in a lifetime for me. Uh, it's a, it is a brutal grind. <clears throat> Show some grace to all the people out there trying to cover a Super Bowl. Because I think behind the scenes, folks have no idea just how much work it is. It's literally nonstop. And yeah, that's the price you pay to go to the Super Bowl. And it's awesome, but it's brutal. There's there's so many logistics involved. I mean, it's arguably the biggest event in the world. And you're right there. Um, but for Radio Row, now that would be fun, Tommy. That'd be a totally different experience <laughs> uh, out there. Maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll put in our put our names into the cap next year. Uh, yeah, it, maybe it someday. Even, it hadn't even dawned on me. Uh, that that side of things, right? Like the the fact that you this is this is the crazy week of, you know, all the things that happen in the Super Bowl because it's just there's so much going on, and you know we're right in the middle of a very interesting college basketball season. Let's start with college basketball, and let's do something we haven't done a lot this year: is start with the Shockers. Uh, Wichita State wins over the weekend, albeit against Tulsa. You better win against Tulsa, right? Uh, K-State and KU fall. We'll get to them throughout the show here. But let's start with Wichita State, Tommy, because I, as I watched that game, 
and the Houston game and some of the Tulane game, I think we're beginning, you know, we've we've talked all year long about the struggles that we've had trying to identify the ceiling and the floor at times of this team. I think we got an idea of the floor, right? Like we we understand what the floor is now. We have understood that for a while. But I'm not sure we ever understood the ceiling. And I think for the first time, I'm I'm at least beginning to get some idea of what I think the ceiling for this team is. And I think that that is the starting five of Wichita State as it's been run out there the last, you know, three, four, five games, uh, which is the, you know, which is a group we're, we're seeing some consistency in, right? Uh, we're seeing players that, are are really playing well together, and that's Craig Porter Jr., Jerron Pierre, Jaquan Walton, James Rojas, and Kenny Poto. That starting five, to me, Tommy, probably has the ceiling of at least a top four team in this league. Now, that's the starting five, because we've seen both against East Carolina and Tulsa, when Isaac Brown tried to get some of the other guys' minutes late in those games, big leads started to fade. That's why I don't worry too much about those versus some of the other games this season where big leads have vanished. And Houston is not something I'm ever going to... Houston's maybe the best team in the country. Losing a lead to Houston's not something that, to me, I'm going to over-evaluate or over-analyze. They're really good. But I think this starting five, Tommy, is good enough to contend and hang with anybody in the league. I mean, they hung with Houston at home. Memphis has always given us fits. We'll get a shot there. But as we see the starting five dominate Tulsa, dominate East Carolina, dominate Tulane for a half and then blow it, I, I think UCF and SMU coming up on the schedule both at home are essentially must-win games. At Temple becomes a game you probably need to win. And that's a place Wichita State hasn't gone a lot since it's been to the American. They haven't played a lot of Temple. Then you get Memphis. You got to beat Tulane and return the favor. You go to Houston and you get South Florida. I think no more than three losses the rest of the way, Tommy. And honestly, I'd like to see two losses the rest of the way over the next two, four, six, seven games, and that would put them at uh, 10 and 8 in the conference. And I don't know where that will ultimately get them, but I think that is a ceiling that is now something to put on the radar and in the targets for Wichita State. You know, I also think that it's okay at this point in the season uh, to start to adjust the expectations a little bit and not not necessarily the expectations of the results and the standings and all of that, but the expectations on how this team is going to come out and play game in and game out. Um, it, it wasn't that long ago that we were constantly talking about the Shocker team wanting to play lockdown defense and hold opponents to a certain number of points. And, and then the thought was that they may not score a ton of points in a game, uh, and so that margin of error is pretty small. It's a different team, uh, and it's a different version of this Shocker team where they're putting up quite a bit of points, and they're they're doing it in uh, in pretty efficient ways. I mean, 86 points against Tulsa over the weekend. Now, now granted, Tulsa is uh, the, the seller of the American Conference, but still, I would say over the last several games, we've seen a deliberate shift in the game plan for this Shocker team where it's a lot more offensive firepower and then on the flip side they are also giving up a little bit more than what I think we all kind of thought that they would early on 
Um, what I like about that kind of style of play for this particular team is that I think it plays a little bit better to the strengths of the starting five by allowing them to go out and uh, try to be effective in scoring the basketball. You're not settling for three-point shots only and then trying to lock down on the other end of the court. They are finding other ways to score the basketball, and they're doing it at a pretty high clip. And it's great to see the emergence of guys like Jaquan Walton and Jerem Pierre, uh, James Rojas in the last couple of games. Uh, when you look at the, the scoring and the stat lines from the starting five, I'm not sure that a lot of people at the beginning of the season would say that, you know, even in a game against Tulsa, that out of the starting five, four of them would be in starting or would be in double figures. But the only one not in double figures was Craig Porter. Uh, now, he was on triple double watch for a portion of this game and his stat line was really solid. I thought he played pretty well, um, but we're seeing other avenues to score. And I like that style of play for the Shockers. And I, I don't know if you've noticed it but I certainly have where there's been a distinct shift in the way that they want to go out and play. It's a little bit more offensive minded as opposed to trying to lock down uh, the opponent on the other end of the court. Yeah. Look, I, I think that it's, it's a better version of this team. Like, I, I mean, I think any of us that have watched this offense, know it's better than the offense that we saw early. If you can combine that with some of the defense we saw early, and that's not, you know, entirely parallel, right? Because this style of offense is going to, you know, generate opportunities for the other team. But, you know, we, I, I sort of brought up what I'm talking about now on Twitter yesterday just to sort of try to feel. And I haven't, you know, I haven't said a lot about the Shockers this year because I just had a really hard time, you know, figuring out what I think this team is. So, now that it's sort of coming into sight a little bit, I'm trying to get the feel. And, you know, people are so down on the coaching staff, and, and that's understandable. I'm trying to look at it realistically. Um, and so what is possible the rest of the way here? That That's sort of what I'm focused on. We know this team hung with Houston. And that was all legitimate, right? Like, if you watch that game, none of that was fluky. They were playing really good defense. They hit some shots. And they got to the line and got to the rim. And and all of those things are things we've been begging for forever. Like, get to the rim, get to the rim. You've got very creative offensive players that are really emerging in Jaquan Walton and James Rojas. James Rojas may not have a, left, a lot left in those legs, but man, he's explosive for a big guy offensively. It's like he's fast. Um, and, and you can tell he's hobbled. He's had all the injuries over his career. But those two guys are doing a great job getting to the rim, and it's allowing for more offense. Always guys are going to have to hit open threes. There's no other way around that, right? Like when you just don't shoot well, there's never been a good remedy for that, missing open shots, other than taking fewer of them, I suppose. But, I mean, it is basketball. You do have to shoot the ball. So that's how that that's also helping. And and they're starting to hit some, hit some threes and those kinds of things. But th there's no reason, Tommy based on what we've seen in the last five, six games, that Wichita State, you couldn't look, you know, and say they're after Houston and probably Memphis. And again, I don't know a lot about Temple. I can't wait to see them. Houston house them yesterday uh, in, in Philadelphia. But Wichita State's as good as Tulane. Wichita State's as good as Cincinnati, probably. 
Uh, definitely, I would say that they're better than UCF, South Florida, East Carolina, SMU, and Tulsa. It's where do they fit in with Cincinnati, Temple, and Tulane that probably defines this season. They were picked seventh. They sit sixth. Tulane's going to be hard to catch. Um, they just keep winning close games. Temple is catchable. Um, you know, they're three games back of both of those teams. They get a game against each of them. Cincinnati is, you know, probably historically better here, but I'm not sure how much better they are than Wichita State. So it's all right there for them. And then that, that, then that becomes big picture stuff, Tommy. Like this team's not going to make the tournament unless it wins the conference tournament. So what's enough for the future? Like what are we looking at here for the future? Is a fourth or fifth place finish in a year predicted seventh enough? I think fans would tell you no. I also think it doesn't really matter what well it matters what fans think that's not what I that's not what I mean. I don't know what they're evaluating and what they're looking at as far as the new athletic administration and Kevin Saul. I have no idea. Um I know that you got to get butts in the seats and bottom line period that that's the key. But I also know that some some players that were brought in by the current staff are really starting to play well and you can see it and they you know it's it's too late for the team to really hit its stride, but the team feels like it's hitting its stride now. Yeah, I'm also not sure that um, the only metric of evaluation is comparing this team to other teams in the conference. Like, that's one of that, that's one of the right. evaluating pieces. But also, I think you can also evaluate this team based on where they were to where they are right now. And you go back to games in November, December. Remember, they only scored... 50 points against Kansas State. They only scored 49 points against Oklahoma State. They only scored 45 points in that opening conference game against UCF. But if you go into, once the calendar turned over to 2023, the only game that Wichita State has scored under 70 points was the Houston game uh, just a few days ago. Other than that, and that's against the number two team in the country, more than likely they'll be number one when the poll comes out here in a few hours. Other than that, the Shockers have scored over 70 points in every single game that they have played so far in the calendar year of 2023. So I think it's okay to evaluate this team, not only based on what is happening in the conference and where they fall and their place and all of that, and if they're better than this team and better than that team, but I think it's also okay to evaluate them based on where they were versus where they are right now. And you mentioned a couple of players that have really come on in the last month or so. I mean, keep in mind and think about it. It wasn't that long ago where the only semi-reliable offensive option for the Shockers was Craig Porter Jr. And occasionally you would see someone else step up. James Rojas here for one game and Jake Juan Walton here for one game. Kenny Poto here for one. But there was nothing consistent outside of Craig Porter. And I do give credit to Isaac Brown and the coaching staff for figuring out ways to let these other players around Craig Porter Jr. have more consistency. Uh, Jaquan Walton has scored in double figures in, what, the last five or six games in a row? Uh, and so there's starting to, we're starting to see some consistency come in there, at least on the offensive side of the court. And so I think that it's okay, back to your point about evaluating where they are, like I said before, you can also evaluate them based on where they were not that long ago to where they are right now. Yeah, look, and and that's the thing here. And and I get it, but 
there's a lot of criticism of the way things have gone the last two years that is deserved and necessary. But we can't get to the point where zero credit can be given for anything. And I think a lot of fans have reached that point. Like, oh, man, the team's playing really well right now. They have a chance to be you know, pretty good by the end of it and, and finish in a good place. Yeah, but they blew too many games and they stunk earlier. Okay. Okay. Like, you you got you to gotta be willing and able to do both things. And, and otherwise, I'm just not sure you're ever going to get a realistic expectation for this program. I bring this up all the time. Things were not rosy when Isaac Brown took over, right? Things weren't going well. They weren't making the tournament. Players were leaving left and right. Like, the same kind of thing was happening then. So let's not pretend like everything was final four, final four. All right, this is the, you know, this wasn't the 2013-14 shockers in 2019, right? It wasn't the same thing happening. So we have to get, like, we can't really evaluate things until we get a true understanding of, you know, what this program needs to be. It'll be really interesting, Tommy, when Houston and Cincinnati and some of these teams leave, because then you're comparing Wichita State to, you know, Memphis, Right? Uh, Temple, Tulane, SMU. As far as, t- like, Wichita State's going to be in a really good position to win this league when that happens. Now, should the expectation be what it's been the last two years? Absolutely not. They have definitely underperformed. And they've had players, as we've seen, that have gone other places and had a ton of success that were not performing at a high enough level either. But they got another group in that we didn't know anything about when they came in, and we're beginning to see now these guys can hang, right? Like that, you know, the only game I I recall, well, there's probably two where you just like physically it looked like Wichita State was facing an uphill battle was Houston and Memphis. And otherwise, that hasn't been the case. And now that we're seeing the best version of Jaquan Walton and James Rojas, you, you start to see like, I, honestly, like this team could beat on any given night outside of probably Houston. This team could hang with anybody, and they did hang with Houston, so I don't want to say that, you know, like matter-of-factly, but the reality is they're not at the same level of Houston. Time will tell if they—I mean, Memphis just lost again. Tulane beat them, I think. So could they hang with any of the rest of the teams? Sure they could. Should they expect to beat any of the rest of the teams? Maybe. Maybe. And I think that becomes the ceiling. Yeah, I don't think that this team, you know, right now as it's comprised— uh, we're going to see them win the American tournament. Like, I just don't, I, I think that they can make a little bit of a run, but I'm not sure that we're looking at that for this team. Um, that being said, I feel like the athletic department led by Kevin Saul is in a really difficult position. And I would say that uh, he's in a more difficult position right now than he was a couple of months ago. Uh, because there's not a clear cut answer, at least in my mind. Now, I think if you talk to, People in the fan base, some of them would say, no, it's pretty clear cut. Like, it's, you know, it's time for Kevin Saul to make a move. But I'm not sure it's that clear cut because you don't have this overwhelming, uh, you know, Isaac Brown should stay and build upon what he's got right now. But then I also don't think you have quite a clear cut of, uh, yeah, it's cut and dry. He, he's got to go. Either. And I, and I think that that's emotion talking when people say that right now. And I get it. I, under, I completely understand it, but the body of work and the facts right now, I don't think, I think you can make an argument for it, but I don't think it's clear cut. And so that's what makes 
Kevin Saul's job right now so difficult. And that's what makes these final games in the conference season so important for everything, for the future of the program and right. for the future of Isaac Brown's job status, all of that, because I don't want to say that every game he's, he's coaching for his job, but at the same time, at the end of it, and Kevin Saul even – he even told us, told you, you asked him mid-season how to evaluate it. He's like, we're not into mid-season evaluations. We're into post-season evaluations. So here and, on and out, it's not clear cut. He, he's coaching for his job. I mean, I think that part's clear, but what's unclear and won't be clear ever probably to us are budget constraints. Uh, they're paying one coach already, the rest of a buyout as far as I know. Uh, so they have to consider those things. What is the ear of the most generous boosters right now? You know, I talk to some boosters that that really like IB. So, I, you know, I don't know, and I know there are a lot that don't. So I don't know what that part of it looks like either. Again, those are two components, maybe as important as anything else, that we will never know. Never. So, yeah, I think every game is important down the stretch. I think this team playing really well becomes important down the stretch. I think getting the ear of the players becomes important too. I don't know, but I know that the team's playing well and it's really nice to see them playing well. And now that it's taken this long, that starting five, man, I'm getting bored with that starting five. They, they look good. I, I really like their game right now. 869-1240, Shocker fans, you can weigh in. Uh, we will continue the conversation with some college hoops. We'll go to a little KU, K-State. Both disappointing losses over the weekend. Uh, I don't know that we've had that happen yet this year. We'll do that. Jacob Albrock, Tommy Caster with you on Sports Daily. We'll be right back. Your phone call is welcome. 869-1240. Sports Daily on 97.5 and 1240. KFH. Welcome back, everybody. Sports Daily, KFH, Jacob Albrock, Tommy Castor with you on this Monday. Uh, really happy to be here with you. Not as happy, quite as happy uh, for our Big 12 teams over the weekend. Let's start, Tommy, with KU because they play tonight against Texas. So in the Big 12 standings right now, both Kansas and Kansas State sit at 6-4, and four, Texas at 8-2. and two. Kansas State had an opportunity at home to knock Texas down a peg. They did not take advantage of that opportunity, and they fall. Again, we'll talk K-State in just a minute. But now KU takes a chance after KU. Man, they didn't look good in Ames, Tommy. They were, you know, they were down the whole way. Iowa State controlled things basically from start to finish. Uh, Iowa State did what it wanted to do. K State or KU could not get going what it wanted to do. They didn't shoot the three well. They didn't shoot from the field well. They didn't shoot free throws particularly well. Um, they, you know, they didn't win a rebounding battle. They, you know, they they turned it over twenty times. Tommy, if you wanted the glaring mistake, but Iowa State defensively locked them down, uh, played the game the way they wanted to, and KU couldn't respond. And this was probably, for me, Tommy, as bad a loss as KU's had all year. Uh, it was incredibly disappointing. Uh, the only offensive option was Jalen Wilson. 
and we've talked about it before, when there are games where nobody else shows up outside of Jalen Wilson, the Jayhawks aren't going to win. Um, and, and that's great that they've got Wilson. I was thinking about it uh, during the game. I thought, man, you remember how close Jalen Wilson was to declaring for the draft before the season? Where would this team be if they did not have Jalen Wilson? Oh, my God. Uh, 26 points on 7 of 16 shooting, 3 of 8 from beyond the arc. He added 9 rebounds. He had a nice game. We, we know Jalen Wilson is going to get his. We know he's going to shoot a lot. But they have to have other options outside of Jalen Wilson. And going back to the Sunflower Showdown last week in Allen Fieldhouse, and we talked with Brian Haney about it last week, part of the key to victory for Kansas was their bench coming through and getting points. Uh, and they weren't able to do that. Something is going on with Joe Yesufu where it's, it's, I mean, the guy can't shoot. And I don't know if it's a mental thing, uh, but he played 20 minutes. Uh, he had eight points, but he couldn't really do a whole lot else uh, other than that. And there were some shots that were really, really, really bad. And other than Joe Yesufu, there was only one shot taken by a bench player, and that was Bobby Pettiford. He was 0 of 1. Nobody else on the bench even took a shot in the game. Uh, and so credit to Iowa State uh, and their game plan. Uh, I I was down on Iowa State going into this game. I felt like they had overperformed and overachieved a little bit. And I thought, okay, you know, Ames is a difficult place to play inside Hilton. But uh, I felt like KU was trending up and Iowa State was trending down. And that was absolutely turned on its head. It's concerning to me when they can't get any kind of production from anybody other than Jalen Wilson. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a problem, and honestly, that responsibility, the reality is, needs to come from Grady Dick. Grady Dick's got to be a better scorer than seven points. Um, that that period, full stop, he's the guy that has to be that guy for this team. He's a freshman. That's a tall order to ask of a freshman, but it is what it is. Grady Dick's got to be that guy for this team to be good. But, Tommy, again, if if... I've been on to anything, and I think that I am, and Dewan Harris is the straw that stirs this drink. Dewan Harris was really bad in this game. KU was really bad in this game. Um, he had the worst plus-minus on the team. Uh, he had one more assist than turnovers, one of five from the field, two points. Can't do it. And it has been, you know, I don't think he's, it's really hard because of the way he plays, right? It's not like, it's not like he's going to, you can just say, oh, he scored X amount of points. He had a good game or whatever, but he didn't play well at all again. And this team, when it looks really good, he plays really well. When it looks really bad, generally he plays bad. So it, it that continues to be a trend for this team that is really fascinating. I fully expected based on what we had seen, Dewan Harris to have a good game against Iowa State didn't happen. So now we're back in this, you know, like, well, is is he okay? Right? Because there is just such a stark difference for this team when he plays well versus when he doesn't. And I don't know what's going to happen if if he doesn't fully and consistently get back to what we saw at the beginning of the year. And I don't know why it's not happening because he was a key last year on a national championship team too. So that part of it is a little hard to predict for me. We can ask Brian Haney uh, later this week. 
But Grady Dick's got to be better offensively. Like if KU's going to do the things that it wants to do and try to defend its national championship, Grady Dick's got to be a, a an elite level scorer. Does that mean he needs to score at the clip of Jalen Wilson? No, but he needs to be in double figures consistently and be the number two scoring option for this team just about every night that he plays unless it's some matchup, you know, unless they have some massive matchup advantage somewhere. But other than that, Grady Dix, he's just got to be better. I don't think he's a lottery pick as of right now. Uh, I, I think that he'll ultimately end up being that that guy. But right now, right this second, I don't think he is. Uh, and and I've, I've watched, you know, him play throughout the season, and it's incredibly difficult to be a freshman and play at that high a level uh, for that high of a program, that big of a program, and consistently perform. That's really, really difficult to do. And he's had flashes where he has looked every bit of the part. He has looked like an NBA guy and a high-impact player at the next level, all of that. But right now, I don't think he's playing like that. What's concerning to me about where the Jayhawks are headed right now is that they had a three-game conference losing streak, and it was pretty apparent what the issues were surrounding the team during that three-game conference losing streak. And you thought, all right, like, the bench is not playing well. Uh, They don't have really an answer down low. Uh, They're not shooting the ball well. And outside of Jalen Wilson, there's really no production, and Dewan Harris is turning the ball over like crazy. Like, it it was fairly easy, I think, to point your finger at exactly what was going on during that three game losing streak. Then they beat Kentucky on the road at Kentucky. Then they beat Kansas State in a top 10 matchup at home and they beat them fairly comfortably. So you thought, okay, like they're trending up and Bill Self has it figured out. He's been able to to kind of figure out exactly how he wants to utilize his bench and they're producing a little bit better. And then this happens and they looked like they were right back to where they were during that three game conference losing streak. That's what's concerning to me is that typically Bill Self, you know, they, they go through stretches at times, you know, his, his teams do this all the time where they go through stretches where it doesn't look great and the fans start to panic a little bit and, oh, what's wrong with Kansas? And, you know, you, you see that, but then Bill Self gets it figured out and the team, they get it figured out and they, they start to ascend again. And they were, I felt, I felt like they were ascending, and then the bottom falls out again uh, over the weekend. That's what's concerning to me because I, I don't think that, like, I don't remember times where that's really happened, where you know they've gone through a rough stretch, then they've gotten better, and then they've fallen off a cliff again. Uh, and, and so it, it it makes me wonder exactly how where they go from here. And they have a very very quick turnaround. They're back home. Um, against Texas, who is in first place in the Big 12. And this is, we talked about it on Friday, about games that were must-win over the weekend. I think this game absolutely is a must-win at home for Kansas tonight. Um, well, I, it's a must-win if you want to win the Big 12. I don't know if it's a must-win realistically because Texas is really good. Um, so, I, you know, it's not going it, to... To win the Big 12, yes, it might be a must win to just be where they need to be come NCAA tournament time. It's just another game on the schedule. And KU's in a weird position this year for that reason. Like, I think, obviously, they want to win the Big 12. But the bigger concern is just to be playing at its highest level when it gets to the NCAA tournament. Uh, KJ Adams seems to be regressing just a little bit. There's a lot to work on for this team between now and March. 
all attainable because we've seen it this year. They just have to be able to find it consistently. They are four-point favorites tonight, Tommy, when I checked BetMGM this morning. Four-point favorites. shocking to me. Shocking I, to me. Allen Fieldhouse matters. I think that there's history involved there with Bill Self's team's ability to respond. I'm not betting that line. Uh, I might bet the over. I think it was at around 145. But no way am I betting that. <laughs> betting that as a as a cover. Uh, that game's coming up tonight. We'll begin to preview that game a little bit later in the second hour. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We're starting to see some things in K-State that concern me, Tommy. Uh, three games now in a row they've lost in the conference schedule. And maybe we should have paid more attention to this possibility and what it means. I don't think it means a lot, but let's talk about that when we return. Sports Daily. We'll come back, wrap up hour number one on this Monday. Tommy, that little uh, Bob and Tom bumper. No setup here other than it reminded me of one of my favorite dad jokes. Uh, you, know what you, know, you know what you call a cow with no legs? Ground beef. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> I gotcha. Uh, see? I was ready for that one. See, your 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 dad energy is flowing here, yeah. which is good. You got a young one coming up. You'll you, We're, we're going to get you there. Yeah. So my, my son, who is, uh, he's 20 months old, um, which I'm starting to lose track of the number of months, but my wife yeah, tells me it's yeah. 20 months. I don't really even know what that means, but I think regardless. It, my gauge is 18 months. You get to stop doing that. Now he's okay, a year good. and a half until he's okay. two. Sounds good. So he's starting to mimic things that we're doing around the house. And, you know, uh, I tend to, I tend to talk on the phone from time to time and make phone calls. And he's got like a little toy phone and, you know, he'll kind of walk around and hold it to his ear and all of that. He's got this stuffed elephant that he loves and he'll talk on the phone, like with the elephant, like hold the phone up to the elephant's ear. And it's, it's kind of fun. Like he's, he's starting to kind of catch on to those things, but you, you know how elephants call each other, right? No. On the elephone. Oh yes. Jad. Let's go. That was a good one. I I'm love gonna, it. I'm going to got to store that one, put it in the filing cabinet. Great. You're not no, the only one that can throw. You, you're not the only one that can throw out the dad jokes. Yeah, well, they got good setup. You got to set them up. The, that's the key to a good dad joke is the setup. You got to get people not seeing them coming or hit them with such fluidity in conversation. You know, that's the key is to catch somebody so off guard that they're almost offended that you just said that. I've got it's like two a slap daughters. across the face. I'm I'm yes. on board with that. I've got two daughters, Tommy, that come before my son. Sons generally appreciate good dad jokes. Daughters are the ones that are horrified as they get a little older. Mine still think they're hilarious because they're still learning how to tell jokes. So sometimes they're really the only jokes that they understand. But the day will come when they don't appreciate them, maybe, or maybe they'll be totally awesome and just be on board with them. Um, we'll find out because they're going to keep coming. And my wife's eyes cannot roll any further <laughs> than they roll now. 
but we're going to test it out. All right, Tommy, let's talk a little bit about K-State here in the time we have, and we can get into this in the second hour if we need to as well. K-State, you know, we, we, you recall, and this is not apples to apples here, so bear with me, but you recall when KU football had its sudden and immediate resurgence, we needed to, like, almost identify there is a chance that this doesn't stay at its highest point, and how will fans react to that? Well, so right now, for K-State, they're on a three-game conference losing streak, and one of those losses is to Texas. One of those losses is to Iowa State. You're looking up at the two teams you're trailing. Like, there is a possibility that this, you know, flattens out a little bit from the meteoric rise the program was on. Now, I don't think that that impacts this team. This is why it's apples to oranges to talk about KU football. But I don't think any of that impacts this team and what it's capable of in the NCAA tournament, which is ultimately all that matters uh, in college basketball. That's why college basketball is great. But as far as winning the Big 12, there is a chance this unravels quickly for K-State. Everybody in the Big 12 has a daunting schedule. We all think that it's going to be more than two losses, obviously, that win this league. But is it, you know, is it four, five, Texas? You know, how many more games is Texas at eight and two going to lose down the stretch? And K-State's already two and a half behind them. So that loss is tough because it came at home. K-State did not do what it needed to do. Jerome Tang said the fans deserve better. That's a little harsh, but you like a coach with high expectations, I suppose. And here we are with K-State, who, you know, they get to turn right back around and and play TCU on Tuesday night at home. And in, in what we talk about must wins, that one feels that way. I don't have a ton of concerns about Kansas State right now outside of the fact that they gave up that big lead in the second half. Like they couldn't protect the lead. And those are leads that earlier in the season, the Wildcats did protect. Uh, and they they weren't able to do that against the Longhorns. Now, I thought Christian Bishop played terrific in the second half. Um, he came out on fire. He had really, really been struggling. And it was kind of like that second half, he was finding himself again, finding his shot again. He had 14 points in the second half. Uh, and really spark that comeback from the Longhorns. Where the Wildcats go from here, I think, is really interesting. Um, I had mentioned on Friday when we were previewing this game that I really thought that it was gut check time for the Wildcats, and it was really the first time this season under Jerome Tang that Kansas State was facing some adversity, and how did they respond to that? And, you know, that adversity continues to grow with the loss at home against Texas. And, you know, that was kind of, the, I mean, the Longhorns kind of avenging that loss in, in Austin earlier this season. Um, but now you've got some big time adversity. You're two and a half games back of the Longhorns. And it wasn't that long ago that uh, there was a thought in a lot of people's mind, what would it look like for Kansas State to win the Big 12? It, it seemed like a legitimate possibility. It's not out of the question yet. In the same way, it's not totally out of the question yet for the Jayhawks, but it really is gut check adversity time for the Wildcats. I think what is encouraging for Kansas State compared to what we talked about in the last segment with the Jayhawks is that it's not like we've seen just an utter collapse in performance from the Wildcats. They just gave up a big lead and the Longhorns won, where with the Jayhawks, I think you've got like legitimate ongoing concerns about the way that 
the bench is playing, and so on and so forth. With the Wildcats, as long as you've got Keontae Johnson and Marquise Noel, you feel like you can pretty much be in every single game. So, again, it's adversity time. It's gut check time for the Wildcats, and I'm with you. Like I, I, I wasn't on board that the Texas game was a must-win, but I definitely am on board that this TCU game tomorrow night absolutely is. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And I, it is because TCU is banged up and not playing well. They just lost to Oklahoma State. Got to do it. Got to get it done. So go do it, right? Just go do it, and, and we'll see. But again, much like KU winning the Big 12 and being where it needs to be, in March are two very different things, right? Like those are not, those are not the same thing, and and that's what's going to be interesting. I but I don't want to take away though from the Big Twelve race because I do think that that's critically important. It's important to fans. It's important to momentum. You get the national spotlight almost all the time in key Big Twelve matchups. KU's got a big one tonight. K-State's got a, relatively speaking, because they're on a three-game conference losing streak, big one tomorrow night. And here we go. And this is what we love about the Big 12. But you got a couple programs that need to answer some questions. And that's what we love about this, right? The, the drama, and if you pay attention to it closely, how much it brings to the table. Night in, night out. 869-1240 is the number to call. Let's talk a little football. It's Super Bowl week after all. We'll do that next. Jake Ballbrock, Tommy Caster, Sports Daily, rolling into hour number two right after this.